Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all brave that Arctic cold front that hit us yesterday. And came to church anyway. I'm proud of you. Would you please bow your heads and join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And Jesus, we pray this for every single person in this room within the sound of my voice today. Let us put away our electronics. Let us forget about our worries and our cares, our concerns, our schedules. Everything that's on our mind, let us just... Put that aside for the next 30 or 40 minutes, Lord, as we focus on you and what you may have to say for each of us individually through your Holy Spirit today. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's really great to be home teaching at New Covenant. As some of you know, I I left my 48-year broadcasting career June 1st six months ago to do ministry full-time and I'm incredibly blessed to be doing a variety of things I'm still able to lead up before the sun ministries and charities and that's s-o-n for that sun in case you were wondering which includes beds for kids and that's a ministry a lot of you are familiar with many of you at new covenant volunteer for and financially support beds for kids We uh, have placed over 18,000 people in free beds, and we're shooting for another 600 by the end of the year. And it's all thanks to you and and the Lord. I've also been to uh, churches all over the state. I've been to uh, three events in Farmington, uh, going again in January, and I'll get to teach that next time at both the church and a chapter house on the Navajo Nation. I've taught at uh, Calvary of uh, the Rio Grande Valley in Berlin twice, Uh, The Way, Truth, and Life Church in Grants twice. I've been to Gateway in Ridoso, Blaze Fellowship Church in Santa Fe, Cornerstone in Las Vegas. And last weekend, I was able to preach the gospel to 200 women in orange jumpsuits at the Women's Correctional Facility in Springer. And they heard about Jesus, and they... They were so excited about it, and we're scheduled for a lot more in 2024, including one of my favorite spots, the beautiful Española Valley. But I couldn't do it without the support of you and the team here at New Covenant. Our leadership allows me to do this now two weekends a month as I continue on staff as an associate pastor here, and everywhere I go, I'm I'm pleased and proud to be able to tell them about our wonderful church family here at New Covenant in Albuquerque. But best of all, perhaps, is every once in a while I get to substitute teach here for Pastor Dave DeShop, which I'm doing this morning, and it's truly an honor. Following in his manner, let's all stand as I read the passage today. Our main scripture is from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. 
but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had deceived, had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins." I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Please be seated. This chapter of Holy Scripture, to me, is one of the most amazing in all of the Bible. It was written somewhere between 680, 700 years before Jesus was born, yet it describes his life and his death in stunning details. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Isaiah obediently wrote down things he didn't understand. His prophecies or predictions of things that would happen in the future stretched a long ways from the time he was living in back then through the far future birth and death and resurrection of Christ into and beyond another 2,000 years to where we are living right now, and it even extends into our future, the second coming of Jesus, which we believe will be very soon. And the first three stages of this passage set the stage. It's kind of like a teaser or a trailer on your TV to entice you to watch a new mini-series the producers want you to see. It's written to make us ask, who is he? Well, I hate to give up the mystery right at the front of my message, but he is the most important person in all of history. Clearly, it's Jesus. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. You can look at the apostles and what they wrote hundreds of years later about this Old Testament chapter of Holy Scripture in Isaiah 53. In John 12, 37 through 41, he says Isaiah was talking about Jesus when he wrote this passage. In Romans 10.6, Paul the Apostle wrote of this chapter saying it referred to Jesus. Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. And don't forget about the book of Acts where the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53 when Philip came across him and he said he couldn't understand it. So Philip climbed up into his chariot and explained that it was all about Jesus. Now how interesting, they all came to the same conclusion because the name of Jesus is never mentioned in these passages, but there is absolutely no doubt who it's about. 
And the people who read or heard this prophecy back when it was written could not have possibly understood who it described. No one could have ever imagined that every word was written about the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who'd been promised for thousands of years, and not even in a terrible nightmare could anyone have dreamed of a fate like this when the Messiah arrived. They'd all been taught that the Messiah would come to rule the world. But now, if you look carefully, you can't miss it. And that's the title of my message today, You Can't Miss It. It's a phrase we use a lot in everyday language to describe something that's obvious or easy to find. Maybe when we're giving directions, yeah, go down to the corner and turn left. Wendy's is right there. You can't miss it. Get me a triple and biggie size it, okay? Uh, as, as a figure of speech, when we're, we're noticing something that, that's very obvious, oh yeah, there's so much in love. You see it in the way they look at each other, the way they hold hands. You can't miss it. But today, we'll see that this phrase, and the way I'm using it, also has a double meaning. I could teach for easily a month on this one chapter of Scripture, which, by the way, was assigned to me by, by Pastor Dave a couple of weeks ago. Originally, we were going to make this an early kickoff to Advent, but Dave came down ill and had to sit out a week, but he's back here and feeling better, and we're all happy about that. He'll complete the book of Revelation next week, God willing, and that has been an excellent series, and it has been so um, enticing and informative and encouraging and, and then we'll work the end of Revelation into Advent because this chapter in Isaiah and Revelation plus the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus all tie in together. They're interwoven very intricately. And chapter 53 in Isaiah is so key to all that we celebrate with the, worth, uh, with the birth of Jesus. And, and Pastor Dave is going to revisit these same verses again, I think a couple of weeks down the road, later in his Advent messages, if time allows. He's going to focus on why they missed it the first time that Jesus came. Today, I'm highlighting why we can't miss it when Jesus comes the next time, when he returns. Simple answer, because we can't afford to. So here we go. Isaiah 53, the first three verses, who has believed our message to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract him to us, uh, excuse me, uh, attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. The phrase, the Lord's powerful arm, speaks of Jesus being part of the same body that performs the will of the mind of God the Father. His arm was designed to do the heavy lifting, the work of a Savior, coming to earth to live as a poor, penniless man. Jesus appears as a lowly servant who sprang out, out of what? many thought was a long dead tree. The family of King David, the verse we just read, echoes much earlier in Isaiah, in um, chapter 11, verse 1, that describes the Savior as coming from an old tree stump, a new shoot out of an old root. 
And we've all seen that happen. A tree that we thought was long dead and boom, all of a sudden it sprouts, sprouts a, new, a new little branch, right? The next part is one of my favorites. Jesus was not movie star handsome or beautiful in any way. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. I promise he did not wear long and perfectly styled hair. Okay? Jesus looked nothing like this picture, like these modern depictions of him. And, and it's even worse when they do not just the long hair, but the feathered hair, where it looks like Farrah Fawcett or David Cassidy from the old days. For the... <laughs> Ugh, drives me crazy. He was certainly not an Anglo, most likely olive-skinned or of dark complexion. Jesus was a normal-looking Middle Eastern man of his time. It was nothing special in his appearance that attracted people to him. It was his heart, his words, his love of people, his love of the Lord. And we have to keep that in mind as we instinctively flock towards majestic, handsome, physically attractive leaders today. And whether it's government, entertainment, sports, or the church, we need to pay attention to that. But we go from something that's kind of funny to something that's very hard and very brutal. The truth of what Jesus experienced and what we did to him. Despised and rejected, his heart was filled with the deepest grief anyone could imagine. Those he came to save turned their backs and walked away. And sadly, much of the world is repeating the exact same behaviors today. Even within Christianity, Way too many of us don't truly value the huge price of his ultimate sacrifice. And sadly, each and every day, more and more believers give up and walk away. We look at this now and say, it's so clear to see, you can't miss it. But people are still missing it today, just like those who were alive when Jesus came the first time, but they missed it. Even those who loved him and served with him and lived with him for three years missed it until he rose from the grave and appeared to them in person after his death. And as a result of them missing it, Jesus experienced many horrible things. Now, if that brings you down, let it be to kneel and pray on the ground. Because this bringing us down, I think, is a good thing. Because on the ground in prayer, we find our firm foundation in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. His sorrows and his death were all part of God's grand plan for man. Jesus paid for our sin and then he rose again. He promised he would never leave us or forsake us. That he was preparing a place for us in his father's house. That he would return when the time was exactly right. And events in the world today indicate that could be very, very soon. Our great and almighty God was using his prophet Isaiah to sort of pull back the curtain of time to give mankind a glimpse into the future. It didn't make any sense to anyone back then. And we get an explanation much later in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 8. The apostle explained that all those who wrote of the coming of Christ... The prophets 
had great wonder about how and when all these amazing things would unfold. They were told by God their writings were not for themselves, but for future generations. Peter was in one of those future generations. He saw it all come true centuries later in front of his own eyes. And he wrote that it was so exciting that even the angels in heaven were eagerly watching to see what would happen. And I firmly believe we're entering another critically important time in biblical history, much the same as that was. We are about to see the beginning of the end. The final scenes of this world described in Bible prophecy thousands of years ago. Wars and rumors of wars. Israel surrounded on all sides by huge and dangerous enemies calling for her extinction. People even in America rioting and protesting with tens of thousands, wanting all the Jews driven into the sea and drowned and wiped from the face of the earth. All these things happening can fill us with dread and fear and anxiety for the future, but Jesus told us again and again, do not worry that only his Father knows the time and the place and that he is in control. God still holds it all in his hands. And be aware that this is such an exciting time that once again, I believe even the angels in heaven are watching to see what we will do. Verse 4. Yes, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Will we be guilty of missing it? Can we recognize that the cruel punishments Jesus suffered then were because of our future sin, the sins we still practice today? Will we live our lives in a way that honor the fact that his body was pierced by spikes in a spear, that his holy blood was spilled on this earth to pay for all we have done against our heavenly father? Scripture tells us Jesus was beaten so severely they could hardly tell he was a human being. They couldn't tell he was a man. He was repeatedly whipped with lashes that ripped his flesh into shreds by sharp stones embedded in the ends. Jesus was torn to pieces so we could be whole. His skim of a trial was rushed. He was bruised and crushed and then gave up his life to save our soul. And there's nothing we can ever do to pay him back. No way to earn our place in heaven. Yet our gratitude and love for all he did should naturally compel us to live for Jesus every single day. But instead, we stray. And Isaiah wrote of that in verse 6. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That's pretty precise. It's pointed. It's powerful. Words that describe this important piece of scripture, Isaiah the prophet was both poetic and perfectly predictive about the life and the death of the coming Messiah. The long-awaited Savior would shock the world when he came the first time by not saving it in the way they had all expected. Jesus did not come to save us 
by overthrowing the ruling authorities. And I think Pastor Dave will address this a few weeks down the road. Jesus saved us by offering his life as one all-encompassing sacrifice to pay for our sins. He took on all the heavy burden that came from our personal disobedience and failure. And yes, the Lord laid our sins, your sins, my sins on him. It's hard to understand, but from the beginning of time, this was the key to God's eternal plan. Jesus came to the world not to rule, but to die in a way that made him seem like a suffering fool. And Isaiah, in chapter 53, describes it in great detail. He was willing to die for our sin because it was, because it was the only possible way we could get in to eternal paradise in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul said it all when he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's true, we all do. At some point along the way, we've each strayed from our path. The Lord wants us to follow. Some accidentally wander away from the flock, the church, in small increments without even realizing that it's happening. Others like myself knew God's way, but bolted from his love deliberately. I ran away from the church at 13 and didn't come back until I was 33. Amazingly, God forgave me. Jesus could have run away or he he could have destroyed every single one of his enemies that very day. Instead, he took their beatings, accepted their whips that shredded his back. He stretched out his arms for the spikes that nailed him to the cross without him taking on our heavy load of sin every single one of us would be lost for eternity. So God laid all our sin on him. Then, now, and future. And because Jesus has already paid our price through God's amazing grace, we are adopted into his royal family when we trust in his son as Lord and Savior, and not until then. So if you've ever wandered, strayed, or run away, you're invited to come back into the loving arms of our great God today because you are a child of the king and it's time to begin living that way. In verse seven, we read, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Again, they didn't understand the meaning in those days. They recognized the lamb part. But we place ourselves in extreme danger if we overlook this today. You can't miss it. At that point in history, animal sacrifices were made to pay for or atone for the sins of the people. A lamb was a common offering because of its value to the owner. Truly a sacrifice to miss out on all the benefits, the wool, the meat, the money you could get from selling a lamb for the family. The better the condition of the animal, healthy no imperfections of color, size, etc., the higher the value of the sacrifice. And throughout all of Scripture, the Messiah is referred to as a lamb, and Jesus is repeatedly referred to as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. The silence mentioned in this prophecy is clearly a prediction of how Jesus would respond to a dramatic situation described in Matthew 27, 12. But when the leading priests and elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they're bringing against you, Pilate demanded? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, 
much to the governor's surprise. The religious leaders needed Jesus killed. They represent the shearers who were preparing the lamb for slaughter by bringing Jesus to appear before Pilate. The governor wanted Jesus to defend himself so he could set him free of these false charges, but Jesus refused to demonstrate his character, to show his willingness to accept God's plan for his life and to fulfill biblical prophecy. He did not open his mouth. Jesus chose to remain silent knowing that in doing so, he was sealing his fate. And I can't overstate the importance of clearly seeing Jesus in these passages in Isaiah. They not only predict what happened when he was crucified, they carefully guide us into and prepare us for what is about to happen very soon. We all know that the best predictor of future behavior and events is careful observation of the past. And over thousands of years, Bible prophecy has proven to be incredibly accurate. It's never been wrong. Literally hundreds of predictions about Jesus have already come true in stunning detail. Now, there are still some left to be fulfilled, but only a few. And they are of utmost importance to both me and you. Scripture promises Jesus is coming back again. And recent developments and current conditions in our world show us the time is very near and getting closer every moment. Unless you've got blinders on, you can't miss it. But this time will be very different. This time Jesus will not come as a meek and silent lamb, but as a roaring and all-powerful lion to take his rightful place on God's throne where he will rule for eternity. As far as visually recognizing him, you won't be able to miss it. Scripture says when Jesus returns, the entire world will see him and know it is truly the Messiah. Now, some people like to say, oh, yeah, well, it wouldn't have been possible back then, but now we've got the Internet, so maybe, maybe they'll see him via uh, transmitters and, and broadcasts around the world. Yeah, maybe, but God didn't need the Internet to create the earth or to open the Red Sea or to raise Jesus from the dead. We're going to see him and know it's him through the signs and the wonders that will be in the sky. A month or so ago, I was out at Balloon Fiesta Park when we had that annular eclipse, and people were packed so tight on the field, looking up at what was happening in the sky, they couldn't launch the balloons. It was the biggest crowd they've ever had. But what's going to happen on that day will make that child's play. Literally, hundreds of millions will miss it, not because... They won't see Jesus and recognize who he is. Again, everyone, everywhere will know it's him. But because they won't be ready, because they never took the time or made the effort to prepare for his second coming. Either they ignored and rejected him again and again, or they said a prayer and asked him into their heart, but never did anything else to learn to love and serve him in their lives. They never followed through. They said the prayer and thought that's all they ever needed to do. And today, way too many Christians are living a fat and happy Christian fantasy, a, a loose and lazy form of faith. Too many say they love Jesus, but are not even close to being true disciples. Matthew seven twenty one is one of the most powerful and frightening verses in all of the Bible to me. Jesus says, 
Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. By the time Jesus returns, it'll be too late to get right with God, too late to repent and change your ways, too late to make all the adjustments, the changes in our words, thoughts, and actions that we've been thinking about but putting off for years and years, too late to learn what his holy word teaches us to do, and you're going to miss it. Now think back to all the Bible stories Jesus told about preparation, about being prepared for what is coming. He used common situations that everyone would have understood back then so that by using his lessons now, we can be ready for his return tomorrow or at any moment. Remember the stories, the master who went on the long trip and left his servants in charge of his whole household, but they partied their time away and badly mistreated others. The bridesmaids who were waiting for the arrival of the groom, but got distracted and didn't have their lanterns filled with oil. They weren't ready when he came back to get them for the big celebration. Or the people of Noah's day who went on doing business and getting married and taking care of all the little details of life but didn't bother to stop and listen to Noah's warnings that the flood was imminent. All those people missed it. And when Jesus comes again, Scripture says, you can't miss it. It'll be perfectly obvious, like the Bible says, lightning flashing from east to west and signs in the sky, as we mentioned a moment ago. But here's the deal. Everyone will see Jesus visibly, but hundreds of millions will miss him spiritually. Matthew 24, 48 says, but what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced, unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those of us who believe in heaven need to remind ourselves that hell is just as real. And it'll be too late then. So we must always be preparing today well aware of what Scripture teaches is soon on the way. But while we're doing that, we have to be constantly helping others learn about that incredible day that we call his second coming. Jesus suffered so we could be healed. Let's all be ready to joyously greet him when his glory and his majesty is finally revealed. By being casual or nonchalant about our faith today, we run the serious risk of becoming like those who were invited to the story Jesus told about the big banquet thrown by the master, but they didn't respond in time, and they were locked out after they tried to get in at the last minute. You can't miss it, because once Jesus returns, there are no more second chances. We have seconds and thirds and fourths right now. But once he comes, it's too late. And careful understanding of this holy word helps us to be ready to greet him and live in the perfect presence of our Lord and Savior forever. It's amazing. Isaiah 53, 8. 
goes on, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. Now note the interesting contrast of these next two sentences. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Those, those, are, those are opposites. That's an oxymoron. Well, the Romans would have thrown him in the dump and had his body burned with the trash and garbage. That's what they did with criminals in those days. Yet God supernaturally made it possible for Jesus to be buried in a rich man's grave when Joseph, the rich man from uh, Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate issued an order to release it to him. You can read about that in Matthew 27, 57 if you want. I'd like to call up our worship team and ask the, our couples who are going to be serving communion this morning to come forward and get your tables in place as we get ready to wrap up the message. We continue in verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. That's us. We are the descendants of Jesus. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. That's us. And God says, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier. Because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. And that's us too. The rebels here translate as sinners. Now those who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and then live a life of repentance and obedience as a faithful servant, a child of God, are forgiven sinners. And I'm asking that as we take these holy sacraments representing the wine and the bread that Jesus gave his closest followers just before he died to think seriously about this. Anyone who's accepted Jesus as Savior is welcome to come and participate. This is your first time here, but you know Jesus is Lord. Please come and take. But if you have not yet taken that important step of Christian faith, Please understand that you only have two choices this morning. You can stay in your seat until we're finished and bypass these holy moments. That's perfectly fine if that's what you want to do. Or you can pray silently in your heart right now for Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to give you a fresh start with a clean and forgiven heart. And then, and only then, are you completely forgiven of everything you've ever done wrong, you're free to receive Holy Communion with us. A note to you believers who are faithful followers but feel like you fall short. Please don't pass up this opportunity because you've sinned recently. Maybe you had a really bad week. Maybe you lost your temper with your wife on the way into church this morning. Communion is not for perfect people. It is to celebrate and remember and honor our perfect Savior. So I would like all of you to come forward from your seats, form lines at the tables. We have two in the front, three in the back, and I believe the middle one in the back is our gluten-free option. Get your elements.
go back to your seats and pray. And then in just a few moments, we'll take all these together today. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.